All righty. Welcome everyone to episode eight of this Facebook Live series where myself, Dr. Steele, and Dr. Newton will be discussing the topic, Black Love, the Ties that Bind Us Together. I'll begin by introducing myself as Tatiana Smith and the special guest host and moderator for our conversation this evening, so I'm very excited. I am a counseling psychology doctoral student at Western Michigan University and a therapist in the counseling center at Western Michigan University Syracuse Health Center. So before I introduce Dr. Newton, Dr. Steele, I just wanted to briefly share my inspiration for tonight's podcast episode. It really comes from my admiration for Black love and just that desire to celebrate it as a powerful cultural institution, because it is. And I just wanted to take this podcast episode to honor the love that's shown every day in Black life, in our lives, the love we receive from our creator, and the love left to us from my ancestors. So next, I will introduce the lovely Dr. Shamika Newton. She is the co-author of the newly released book, Black Lives Are Beautiful, 50 Tools to Heal from Trauma and Promote Positive Racial Identity, published through Rootledge, an imprint of Taylor and Francis Group, LLC. She is also a fully licensed psychologist and owner of Legacy Mental Health Services, PLLC. Dr. Shah has over 10 years of experience in clinical, academic, and community settings, including teaching experience at both undergraduate and graduate levels of higher education. Her areas of expertise include multicultural counseling and clinical supervision of master's level counseling practitioners and students. In addition to her clinical and teaching experience, Dr. Newton is also a member of the Michigan Board of Psychology, appointed by Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and she was recently honored with the Distinguished Psychologist Award by the Michigan Psychological Association. Congratulations. Next, we will also move on to the lovely Dr. Janae Steele. She is the other author of Black Lives Are Beautiful and a licensed professional counselor, counselor educator, and diplomat of the Academy of Cognitive and Behavioral Therapies. Dr. Steele is also the owner and clinical director of Kalamazoo Cognitive and Behavioral Therapy, PLLC, where she provides therapy, supervision, and training in CBT. Her scholarly activity includes peer-reviewed articles focused on CBT, social justice advocacy, and counselor training. Her favorite article describes cognitive conceptualization and treatment planning using CBT and a proposed cognitive model of internalized racism. Her webinar discussing the proposed cognitive model of internalized racism is one of the American Counseling Association's best-selling products and was featured by the organization as part of its 2022 BIPOC Awareness Month programming. So we have some pretty amazing hosts, y'all. That's all I'm saying. So tonight we will be talking about relationships. So while relationships can be a source of joy, we recognize that they can also bring pain. So with that in mind, we always like to begin with a reminder about the importance of self-care and mindfulness during our time together. If you find anything we discussed tonight to be overwhelming, please be sure to use mindfulness and breathing skills when you need to and take a break if necessary. If you are an ally or someone learning about Black love, work toward maintaining a non-judgmental stance, recognize any defensiveness you may be experiencing, and listen with the intention of understanding. We also invite you to apply the coping strategies we'll discuss this evening. And with that said, keep in mind that our conversation tonight is not a substitute for mental health or medical advice, and you should seek appropriate help where needed. So we're going to get started. So we know that Black love is inclusive of romantic love, familial love, friendships, and community relationships. 
So let's talk about the importance of Black love as a cultural institution and how it has been impacted by various social, social historical events. Something that I um, really like in your, just your overall discussion of Black love and your description of it is that it, it I think nicely captures the essence of an African-centered worldview in terms of this mm -hmm. idea of connectedness and spiritual connectedness. And, you know, I think that's especially emphasized in this notion of Black love being a cultural institution. Um, and so then if we're thinking about Black love as a way like to resist white supremacy, uh, it, it becomes powerful in that it allows us to one counter um, like those divide and conquer tactics that mm -hmm. are used against our community to keep us fragmented and therefore powerless. Um, but then it it also when like expressed as um, like caring relationships and joy, it counters those messages and stereotypes that we have about black people being like depraved or immoral. Um, and so I, I think like for me, the significance in black love is that, is that it's, you know, a, a central part of like our ontological way of being, but then it's also like a direct way to resist um, cultural scripts and then also specific like policies and practices that keep us divided as a community and therefore powerless. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just to add on, I think it's, it's what we've had to, to hold on to when we were stripped from Africa. Like we didn't have anything, right? Like our culture, our rituals were stripped from us. But when we were brought to America, like we we had love for one another. We had that ability to look out for one another, to care for one another, even in institutions such as slavery. Um, and so it's just ingrained, I think, within who we are as Black people that care, even when we don't have a lot of resources. Um, when we've experienced oppression, it's kind of that glue that holds us together. And it's just been inherent to who we have been since the start of America, you know, since the start of our um, being brought here. So I think it's it's the connectedness when I think of Black love. Mm -hmm. And I like that both of you are talking about Black love as, you know, this power, powerful cultural institution that really helps us as a people to survive and thrive in the midst of various forms of oppression. And I think that that kind of gets at the second half of the question of looking at the ways in which Black love has been impacted by different social historical events. So Dr. Newton, you mentioned uh, the transatlantic slave trade. So this, in addition to some others that I'm going to list, you know, really represent like those historical threats to the ties that bind us together. So, you know, we had imperialism and colonialism in Africa amongst various tribes who were, you know, capturing each other as prisoners of war, but also, you know, um, the white Europeans that came in and colonized um, Africa, then the transatlantic slave trade. So we got to America, the Jim Crow era, the oppression that we experienced as we were fighting for human rights, you know, during the civil rights era and the revolutionary movements, the war on drugs and how we know that was designed by the government to specifically target black and brown people um, and really work to, that's where I feel like a lot of the criminalization of black folks began as well. 
um, the mass incarceration issue that we have that is still a pressing concern and black male homicide, which are two things that, you know, remove so many of our brothers from the home. Um, also, the black maternal and infant mortality crisis that we've been dealing with that's impacting black women and our babies, the COVID-19 pandemic, which affected everyone globally, but in particular, you know, black folks and those of us who had access to less resources to help get through that difficult time. And then just all the continued assaults on our culture, you know, just came from having the presidency with Donald Trump. I'm from Florida. So you know, we're dealing with what's happening in Florida with Ron DeSantis and other movements that are just designed to stop the progress of Black history. Um, so yeah, all of those things represent threats to those ties that bind us together and is really what's been keeping us going like since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I would agree with what you're saying and I, and what I think is really important that we don't lose is that like these historical incidents that you're describing are by design so it's not mm -hmm. you know these aren't necessarily just a byproduct of some of what you're talking about um division within black community has been intentional and so <laughs> then when we think about it like um from this like socio-historical aspect and then also in terms of like implications for us it really speaks to the the necessity of like critical consciousness around these issues because I think you know even when you talk about it it can sound fluffy right like oh right God, like we're gonna talk about our boo and steak and lobster and like all that kind of stuff but it's it's a lot more significant in that because it really is like, again, from this African-centered perspective, where we draw a lot of our power from in terms of that unity and even like that African principle of Ubuntu, like um, I am because we are, right? Like, so yeah. it just really speaks to the essence of who we are as a people. And when it's, you know, fragmented, then it, it speaks to our, our fragmentation as a people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, it also it just it connects with survival, like the way in which I think we as a people have been able to survive is rooted in that, that sense of love, that sense of community um, that we've had to embrace. Because when you have the outside world, like rejecting you, not validating you, denying you opportunities, you got to have something that you can fall back on and retreat to. And that for many has been the Black community that's been um, the love that has been within that community and from various sources from even, you know, from church, whether it be from community support through, you know, um, even I think about just fraternities and sororities within the Black community, that's a sense of, of um, a Black love that's there with they create a sense of empowerment for Black people and a sense of you belong here, you fit here, and you are loved. And so um, I think it's, it's it's survival when I think of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about Black love. It is, it is our, our well, if you will, that we draw in terms of our strength, our resistance, our power. It really is what keeps us going. I mean, I'm I know when we talk about Black love, a lot of times we think about it in the romantic sense, but it's also the familial love, you know, the love that exists between mom and dad, but also that parents have for their children, that children have for each other as siblings and as 
cousins and things like that, the love that we have for our grandparents, love that we have for our friends, you know, our sisters, like our brothers, like we are literally doing life together. And the love that we have as a community, you know, when you're in the barbershop and you're getting your hair cut, but your barber's dropping that knowledge on you, you know, and when you're in the hair salon and your stylist is giving you pearls of wisdom, you know, about how to navigate Black womanhood and things like that, you know, that added support that we get in our community um, from conversations that we may not always have at home or just like that added support and reinforcement um, and just help, like, how Black love is so instrumental as well in terms of building like positive character in life or having gratitude for those deep, genuine connections that we share, but also our mental health, right? All three of us on this call, you know, our mental health professionals. I feel like Black love is essential to our mental health because if you a Black person exists in this white supremacist, racist, capitalist, all the other is world, and you are lacking love and genuine relationships, what is it that is keeping you going? Because it's, it's too hard to navigate all of these various intersecting systems of oppression all by yourself. And it's, it, to me, it's interesting within the Black community how we create kinship or chosen family-like relationships. Like everybody got a play cousin. Like the cousin is not really your cousin. But in my instance, like my mom is the only child, but I had a bunch of aunts and I, it didn't click to me until I got older that, wait a minute, it's not really my aunt, but it's, you know, a very close family member. So it's that ideal of that we have that resiliency. If we don't have it, you know, within our biological families, we create these kinship and chosen families that become strength for us. And so I think that that's just, it just speaks to um, our resiliency as a people. And I think, you know, again, it, it might sound simple, but having those relationships, viewing relationships in that way, again, is, is a resistance to white supremacy. Because if you think about it, I, I'd say probably the majority of the world is relational in that sense. You know, like Black people aren't the only cultures that have like aunties and uncles, right? I, that's that's most people in the world, um, except one dominant group. And so when we allow ourselves to continue like with those culturally derived practices and including like kinship practices, again, we're retaining that central essence of ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's a part of that uh, cultural authenticity and self-knowledge that we have as Black folk. Um, so before we transition to the next question that I have for you both, and we be we've been beginning to talk about that a bit just speaking to this, the resilience aspect that exists, that's a part of Black love. We highlighted some of the threats to, you know, those ties that bind us together, but also, you know, the progress that we've seen in terms of that strength and resistance, cultural authenticity and self-knowledge. So I just wanted to, you know, highlight the Black power movement of the 70s, the contemporary movement with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and even new movements that are born out of the love that we have for our culture. So I look at psychotherapy and the great things that Dr. Fia Imbolashaka is doing with pairing mental well-being with looking at natural hair and the impact that has on Black men and women's lives. Um, Afrofuturism, which is something that I got exposed to, you know, visiting in New Orleans, even within our disciplines, right? So African and Black psychology and other culturally relevant theories and academic movements that are geared towards looking at our people from a strength-based perspective instead of that deficit perspective that's existed and all the other contemporary movements that exist that I 
couldn't think of to name. Um, I just wanted to lift those up. So my next question that I have for you both, and we began talking about this quite a bit, um, but just speaking a little bit more in depth about how can Black love be used by Black folks to critically resist white supremacy and racism? I'd say for me, it's it's a lot of what we've already talked about tonight in terms of um, being intentional in maintaining um, and facilitating those relationships and communal bonds, especially for the um, specific purpose of building our community. Again, like thinking back to those African-centered principles, like Nia in the, temps in the sense of like purpose, but not my own purpose, like purpose of the greater good. Um, I think that that's really important. And, and then again, allowing yourself to live life in a way that counters those like messages and tropes about like our primary value being that as a laborer, um, rather than like as a human being who is mm -hmm. in relationship with others and in relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as I think about this, it kind of goes back to that saying, hurt people, hurt people, but then there's a saying, heal people, heal people. So right. if you heal yourself, then the community can be healed, right? So if we work on and empower ourselves and work on self-love, then that love gets projected onto others within the community, and then there's healing that can occur. It reminds me, I don't know if it was a movie, but they were like, you know, together, like it had a hand, it was like, together, we're not as powerful, but it would if we come together, there's a fist there and there's power there. Um, and so as we as individuals start to heal ourselves, then we can work to liberate others who have been impacted by things like that you were mentioning, um, Tatiana, the transgenerational trauma that comes into play from all those, you know, years of oppression. And so I think, you know, we can resist, Black love can resist white supremacy and oppression by us healing ourselves. And that may look like going to therapy. That may look like um, reaching outward, volunteering, giving to others, because there's healing that comes from that as well. Um, it may even just work on building insight into how some of the transgenerational things, the traumas that have been passed right. down within our families. Um, and so I think, you know, that's how we resist by being that powerful fist um, and healing ourselves so that we can come together collectively. Right. And I kind of want to follow up with what you just shared there, Dr. Newton. And this kind of speaks to the piece that you were talking about before, Dr. Steele, of like Black love is it's, it's serious business, right? So we're talking about it, but it's not like this fluffy concept. It really does have power. And to the piece that you're speaking about, Dr. Newton, like the importance of self-love and healing ourselves and our trauma and how we can project that back into our families and our community. So to kind of like make this more concrete for people who may be watching, I'll use myself as an example. Um, last night, you know, recently while I was home visiting um, in Florida, my father had shared with me that my grandmother had recently had a stroke. Fortunately, it was a mild stroke, but you know, because of my own experiences of childhood trauma, I had a very strained relationship with my father and also my grandmother. And I mean, like years of going without consistently talking to one another. Um, but something, again, since, you know, me being a spiritual person, God talking to me, told me to reach out to her. I, you know, I just had this burning urge to want to pray over her and let her know that I was thinking about her. Um, 
in that conversation, it was so healing, you know, because my grandmother, she's older now, but was able to apologize for any hurt that she caused my sister and I while we were growing up. And it speaks to the healing that, you know, happened in that moment, because if I hadn't have gone to therapy, right, and built my own insight and awareness about how intergenerational trauma and my childhood trauma was impacting my relationships and the ways that I was showing up with people, I wouldn't have been in the space in that phone call to receive her apology and want to work to rebuild that bond. And I left that conversation feeling so whole and full. And again, I feel like that speaks to the importance of Black love in terms of our, our mental health and like relational well-being. I feel like as Black people, like we are inherently relational. That goes back to like that Afrocentric worldview of how we, you know, show up in the world. So I just wanted to share that example of like, there is power um, in Black love and using it toward our healing. Because that relationship, you know, my grandmother has always been a part of my village, but now I can feel her love a little bit more and it just helps me to continue to do what I'm doing in terms of giving back to the community and my work as a psychologist. So the last thing to add before we begin to transition to what is Dr. Newton's favorite question we have for this evening is, again, Black love is so important because, you know, Black people, we are a naturally collectivistic group. So it, it is a vehicle through which we can resist the harmful effects of being constantly exposed to multiple systems of institutionalized oppression and the ways that they intersect, you know. And when we think about, you know, this us versus them mentality, right? When they give us hatred, we can give them love. And it's important, again, to what we've been talking about tonight in terms of our survival as a people against white supremacy and racism, but to ourselves as well, because you highlighted, Dr. Still, the importance of navigating internalized racism and anti-Blackness and how we can use Black love to combat that. And then lastly, again, we think about it from that community standpoint, Black love allows us to have compassion and empathy for our brothers and sisters so that we can be a part of each other's villages to guide, support, and protect each other. Um, so my third question is, what personal or historical stories do you all have about the power of Black love? And there's a follow-up to that, but we can answer that first one. Um, one of the things that I just like personally enjoy about like being black and like the African part of being black is the role of like stories and myths and fables in our culture and so this isn't a real story it's a myth or it's a fable but I really like this story it really illustrates like the power of black love to me um because like it involves nature and and, and ancestry and everything Everything. So this, the story is, this is about the origin of hurricanes. And so, um, you know, like factually it, well, I don't know if actually I'm not a, that type of scientist, but from what I understand, most hurricanes originate somewhere off the coast of Africa. And then they tend to travel the same path of the transatlantic slave trade and stop along the ports of the slave trade. And so like the myth is, is that 
this is not a natural phenomenon, but it's the spirit of the ancestors who were lost to the ocean in that trade coming back to exert their revenge. Mm. And I love that story. And it's a story of Black love to me because it just expresses this idea that even in death, like my people are going to ride for me, like I'm covered. And so I think that although that's like a myth, it's, it's our reality too, right? Like, like we are as a people able to come together in crisis and good times, it doesn't matter, but, but, you know, it's like inherent to who we are to come together, to support each other, to ride for each other, to love each other. And so I think that that's a story that always stands out for me as it relates to black love. That and that's deep, you know, because we're dealing with the several hurricanes, you know, hitting what is that the West Coast and down South Florida is preparing for a hurricane to make landfall. So that is an interesting way to look at uh yeah, those naturally occurring events. I'm gonna have to tell my mama about that. <laughs> so like girl, that's our ancestors coming back to afflict their avengers. <laughs> Yeah, I think about Black Love, I think about just a personal example. Uh, my grandparents grew up on Eight Mile, so right in the heart of Detroit. Um, and they didn't have much. Like They had a little two-room home, um, you know, ranch home. It wasn't, they didn't have very much. Um, but what they had, they shared with others. So my grandmother, she used to cook like soul food, and she would have us take it across the street to Miss Codwell. When Miss Codwell, she had had a stroke, and she was in a wheelchair and so she couldn't do a lot of things for herself so every so often my grandmother would cook these meals and she would have my sister and I take them across the street to Miss Cowell to me that was black love right and then my grandfather he would work in the yard a lot and there were a lot of elder more elder um, individuals in the community so he would go and mow their yard never asked for a dollar never want anything but he had a schedule he would mow the yards of people in the community uh, my grandparents also had a car and they would take other like um, elderly individuals in the community to doctor's appointments and to the grocery store because they didn't have a car. And so I think that that's like, to me, the essence of Black love, that if I got it, then you got it and I got you too. And that is, to me, that speaks to this notion of just Blackness and the ideal of us looking out for one another. Um, and so that's the example that came to mind when you thought of that, when you mentioned that question. Yeah, and I wanted to share some personal examples of well, because I have several. So, you know, the first people that I thought about was my parents, right? Because both of my parents, you know, they made personal and professional sacrifices to provide for me as their child and to guide me into becoming, you know, a young adult. And, you know, my I feel like that's particularly important for my parents because um, I highlighted, you know, my experience of childhood trauma, but also the love that existed for them that they had for me to be able to do all this for me in spite of their own histories of intergenerational and childhood trauma. I think about the love that exists between me and my siblings because there's five of us in total, you know, and the love that I have for them, that's a love that is unbreakable because, you know, we have gone through that childhood struggle together to get to where we are. I think about the love that exists that I have for my partner, um, and I will name him by name because he's that special to me, um, Michael. I've been with him for 10 years, and he is my protector. He is my safe space. And I 
And that love is special because that's something that I manifested for myself at 15. I didn't know that God was sending him, but he sent it to me at 15, you know, and he helps to give me strength and courage to show up every day as the woman that I am. I think about my friendships, in particular, the special bond that I have with other Black women. You know, our circles of sisterhood and brotherhood are special and ones that I personally hold dear to my heart. You know, I really think about my friends as, as my mirror. Um, and then what you were speaking to earlier, Dr. Steele, that community aspect. So the African principles of Ubuntu and Asante Sani, you know, I am because we are and because we are, therefore I am. And kind of as you're talking, if you're a first generation, anything you're Black, you're standing probably on the shoulder of somebody who loved you, right? Whether that be your parents or that teacher in high school that told you you could do it and get out of the environment you're in, or whether you got to college and it was, you know, a faculty member who nurtured and encouraged you or King Chevers and Parks program like um, they have at U of M, you know, like there was somebody who loved you or had enough love for you to aspire you. So I think first generation, like I think you probably experience it on so many different levels to get to where you need to be or where you're at now. Mm -hmm. And I think about, you know, the power of the stories that you guys are sharing and, um, you know, I guess like from a psychological sense, just the freedom and the space that having those types of relationships provide you for your own self-actualization, like can't be understated or undervalued. Um, when we're talking about Black love, it's not just being in a relationship because we know that there are some unhealthy relationships right. that we can be in, even in our own communities. And so, you know, where we're able to experience love that is characterized by caring and unconditional positive regard and acceptance like that is where we're able to flourish and really have the impact for ourselves and on our communities that we're talking about mm -hmm. and I definitely wanted to and that'll get to a question that we will get to a little later in terms of how black love affects our clinical work as mental health professionals um, but I really really love that story that you started with, Dr. Steele, about the hurricanes and the love that exists for us for our ancestors and how Dr. Newton has connected that to, you know, all of us are standing on the shoulders of giants. So I wanted to circle back to some historical examples that I've seen of Black love that are just inspiring. Um, and these are more in a I guess you would say uh, romantic sense, but these people had great impact in terms of their own families and, and us as a community, our generations in history. So I think about the love that we saw, you know, with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King, Marcus and Amy, Jacqueline Garvey, Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz, Nelson and Winnie Mandela, Fred Hampton Sr. and his wife, Deborah Johnson, and even, you know, our forever, First Lady and President Barack and Michelle Obama, you know, all of these historical examples and contemporary examples are um, inspiring because the love that exists between them and their coupledom, you know, motivated them to go out and reproduce that love in the community. And it's made changes in terms of our history. Mm -hmm. I would agree. So, 
As a second part to this question, could you both speak to what impact these stories that we've shared about historical and personal examples of Black love have had on your view of Black love? I think, I think, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, um, for me, examples are good, but I also think personal experiences are very impactful too. Um, and so like, for me, I'd say like the most loving relationship is the relationship that I have with my husband. And I think the way that we're able to have that relationship is because we're, own, we're committed, we're each committed to doing our own work. So like we've each been committed to being 100% responsible for our own happiness. Um, and I, I think that by doing so, that then allows us to come together and, and do some of what we were talking about earlier in terms of offering each other unconditional positive regard and, you know, acceptance and love. But I think that that comes, you know, again, through that experience and, and processing of what's going on, like within yourself, within your relationship, and even like in the examples of, of what you're talking about like when we look at the Obamas or the Mandela's like whoever like we shouldn't just say like oh they're so cute or goals or whatever like that's a fun way to talk about it but it can be helpful to really like look and analyze those relationships to determine like what makes them successful and how we can replicate that in, in our own lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah definitely I was going to say that when I think about the examples that we gave the word that comes to mind is being vulnerable. I think to love, you have to be vulnerable um, because you're opening yourself up. And when we think about um, the Obamas, they were under you know scrutiny of a whole nation, you know, yes. but they had to show up, and um, you know they were the first, right? So there's a lot of you know there's a lot of analysis that comes with that, and they're they're black, right? So I think when I think of black love, I think of that deal. There's a vulnerability there. And some people, they may not be able to experience love because their own hurt or past traumas stop them from opening themselves up to do so. So there's a risk. And so when I think about like just this topic, it's the ideal of there's a level of being vulnerable um, so that you can truly experience the sense of community that comes from loving others and giving to others once you're able to be vulnerable. So, Yeah. And I think in what both of you have shared, you know, when I think about the personal impact that my personal experience as a Black love, but also some of the historical examples that I shared, you know, I really see Black love as a representation of our commitment to each other and all these different facets. So within the family, romantically, within our friendships and our community, as you both were saying, you know, it represents our source of strength, resilience, intimacy, and vulnerability. And because I have that view of Black love, I really feel like it is something that is serious, you know, and something that needs to be protected. Like we have to protect the sanctity of Black love. It is, you know, sacred in that way. And it's a part of our freedom and our liberation to be, to be seen, to experience each other, to, to experience the fullness of our humanity you know, in relation with one another, to be connected, to be joined. And I'm about to stop because that's going to make me get spiritual because that all relates to being fit and joined within the body. But, you know, you get the idea. 
but black but then again too black love is is spiritual because even when we pass on from this world our love still exists on um and it's passed down through our generations and allows us to self-actualize and to dream and to grow and to thrive Mm-hmm. Dr. Steele looking like a word. <laughs> a word. <laughs> so then as mental health professionals, how would you both say your view of Black love impacts your clinical work with Black clients? Well, I just can't believe as a CP, CBT therapist how person-centered I am tonight. But I think that... um you know, again, for me, when I'm looking at sources of pain in my clients, I do tend to look at how relationships can be used as a source of healing um, for that pain. And so I tend to look at like, what things can they build upon in their own lives to like facilitate that self-actualization in this area. So whether it be like, looking at self-love or looking at like communal bonds or like spirituality, what relationship can they focus on um, to like be able to receive and perceive that they are loved as a source of healing? And for me, I think where love comes in, it becomes more personal that I have to sometimes love my client, not like a husband or a sibling love, but I have to have like what Roger describes as um, that positive regard, which I think mm-hmm. is rooted in love um, for my clients, because sometimes they don't always move. Like sometimes they stay stuck and they keep doing um, behavior that, you know, is away from their goals that they said they wanted. So I have to, I think, be in a loving place to start with in order to be a vehicle for change, a vehicle for help. Because if I get to an unloving place and I can't help my clients, many of which were Black American who experienced oppression, move. And so for me, I'll take it, I'll make it personal. I'll just say it's about me being in a loving space so I can help other people heal, create the change they want to see. I think that's a really good point. You know, you mentioned like Rogerian principles and, and you know, like from a person-centered perspective, one of the necessary conditions for effective therapy is that the therapist be congruent in the relationship. So if we're there as therapists and we're unable to love ourselves or we have difficulty extending love or empathy to people um, all of the time, or even like as it relates to certain issues, that's going to have a negative impact on that therapeutic relationship, which is one of the most significant factors of healing in therapy. So I think, you know, we bring up a really great point in that it's it's also important that we as therapists are focusing on our own ability to experience and give love and especially in the relationships with our clients as appropriate. Mm-hmm. I think what you both are sharing speaks to that importance of therapy, especially being, you know, Black therapists in our work with Black clients, the importance of the dialectic and what is taking place not only between us and our clients, but within each other, right? So I know that both of you primarily practice from cognitive behavioral therapy and some aspects of person-centered therapy. So I, um, I'm somebody that has an integrative therapy style, but at my core is interpersonal processing therapy, which I feel like is all relational based, right? 
And so I say, you know, how this impacts my clinical work is I, I can wholeheartedly say I genuinely love my clients. And I like that you made the, that you distinguish Dr. Newton's thought like, you know, family or like your husband, but I can say that I genuinely love my clients and I let them know that I love them because sometimes they need to know, like, no, like I'm seriously, when I say I'm for you, like, this is not just my job. Like I'm seriously for you. There's so much healing that takes place. And when I think about that from an interpersonal processing therapy perspective, that speaks to the corrective emotional experience that I'm always trying to provide my clients and how I can be present in my relationship with them. And I say that because um, Dr. Daniel Cunningham, who I got the opportunity to meet at this year's American Psychological Convention, she highlighted that as Black psychologists and mental health professionals, we are not allowed the space to say that enough, you know, that we genuinely love what we do. I say, you know, there can be so much pain and suffering in the work and bearing witness to people's stories and testimonies. So you have to have some love for your clients and, and the field and what you do to be able to do good work. Um, so when I think about like my work with my clients, because I work primarily with black college students, again, to me, it makes the work that I'm doing serious business. Like this is not just, I'm not just accruing these hours to get this doctorate, but it really is a, a part of like my, my sense of purpose in life in terms of helping my people thrive and survive. Um, and my goal is always to, you know, be a part of facilitating our critical consciousness about the different ways in which we are being impacted by all the systems we are exposed to that are threats to the ties that bind us together. How can we make them stronger and really beef them up to promote our healing? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, something that's important to mention in, in what we're all saying, because you know, I think that conceptually it can be easy to view love like as a feeling or an attitude that you have toward a person, but there should like be some action or some evidence of the love that you have for individuals. So, you know, like what that looks like is going to differ depending on the type of relationship that you're in. But when we're talking about like a client therapist relationship, there should be some demonstration of your love, right? So depending on your theoretical approach, whatever that is, like if you're solution focused, maybe it's cheerleading and giving compliments, or if you're person-centered, it's willingness to be vulnerable and express like your um, acceptance of the client, whatever that is, like there should be some type of tangible demonstration to suggest the love that you have for your clients, um, as you said, Tatiana, in order to provide that corrective experience for the individuals that we're working with. Because again, this is what makes therapy different than like going to talk to your mama or your friend or whoever, like it's, it's, it's corrective. And so we're able to like, to be there relationally, but then we're also able to offer like the mental health and behavioral principle support to go along with that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, again, um, you know, we've been highlighting some of these different theories that exist in therapy. Again, like therapy is also like a training ground for a lot of our clients, you know, and a model, especially for those clients who have experienced different hurts, pains, traumas, 
their heart has become hard and they're not able to be vulnerable and to experience love, they get to test that out in a safe space in therapy and then go back and reproduce that in their lives. So again, I think it is, you know, serious. It is what makes therapy different than other spaces where Black folks can go to get support. Mm-hmm. So my final question I have for this evening is, what are some tools or resources that can be used in therapy to support these different aspects of Black love we've been talking about tonight? Um, I think for me, there's probably three that I think are most directly related to love. Um, that would be like helping my clients achieve religious coping because just in my view, ain't no love greater than the love of God. So we're going to get the that. love that comes from the creator. <laughs> right. Um, religious coping, but then activism uh, because of the sense of like self-love and self-confidence and, and mastery that comes with speaking up for yourself, you know, regardless of if you're able to actually affect change, like just the act of speaking up or engaging in in some type of activism can be experienced as an act of self-love and then love for your community as well. And then I also think bibliotherapy is really important too, because um, if again, we're talking about self-love or even like community relationships, like just having an understanding, a better understanding of some of like the systems of oppression and how they operate to diminish self-love and, and um, encourage uh, the breakdown of our community can help like to repair some of that so that we're able to make more intentional choices in our behavior to like stop that and, and engage in more loving action. Um, for me, I would say a big part of self-love is knowing your history. And so in the book that Dr. Still and I wrote, um, Black Lives Are Beautiful, we talk about um, having conversations like with older members of your family, like there's an activity that looks at talking to the eldest member of your family that's, you know, that you can gain information from. Because like when we were writing the book, like I had to start reflecting on myself as a Black person and I started to think about like my grandparents and the stories I heard about my great, great grandparents. And I began to build a sense of love for me. And so I think having um, those conversations with family, knowing your ancestry history is important as well as um, just taking that time to embrace all the goodness that is within there. But then I would also say for people who maybe you come from families because of all the oppression, discrimination, and trauma um, that our people have experienced, maybe there wasn't love. I guess I would say, you know, realizing that you can create something different, right? So what what do you want your definition of love to be? Um, how do you want to show love if you weren't given love within your family? Because, you know, we do have to acknowledge within some Black families, you know, they may not have experienced positive, positive encounters. And so I think it's also defining and realizing that you can do something to create newness is another thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really resonate with what both of you shared. And so I'm glad that um, when we started this conversation, Dr. Steele, you were starting to incorporate um, that Afrocentric perspective and worldview, because that's what came up for me personally and thinking about resources to support Black love and therapy. I think it 
it is helpful to include some aspects of Afrocentric um, perspective. Um, so I had the opportunity to explore Black love as it relates to my dissertation research, because I look at the ways in which Black men who have experienced sexual trauma as children, how are they able to still learn how to love? Um, and one of the things that came up um, when I was exploring Black psychology was the work of Dr. Milana Karinga. So they talk about a comedic theology for Black love. And in this view, Black women are viewed as existing to complement each other rather than Black women being subordinate to Black men and vice versa. Um, in this view as well, Black men and women are not viewed through the prism of gendered racial stereotypes, which is what you've been talking about tonight, Dr. Steele. For people who are watching that may not be aware, some examples you know are that Black men are viewed as passives, studs, criminals, deviant, things like that. Black women are, you know, cast as matriarchal, domineering, emasculating, and aggressive. A comedic theology also recognizes that our personhood as Black folks is multifaceted, you know, and we are connected to the divine or the creator. And we are tied to both natural seen world and the unseen and spirit world, you know, through a vital force that exists, you know, through all of us. And our personhood is not prescribed to us at birth or death, but rather is cyclical in nature, which is why our Black love is able to exist on, even, you know, in death, because we are a gift from the creator, um, a lot of times in the, form, in the form of a returned ancestor, you know, you get some people that are like, you've been here before, <laughs> you know? So then that's this task that we have and can oftentimes come up in therapy of navigating various relationship challenges is viewed as normative rather than a sign of deficiency as we journey through the primary stages, you know, in African life. Um, so that's something that uh, came up. And also you talked about Dr. Steele a lot, those seven African principles of Mayat. So truth, justice, righteousness, order, balance, reciprocity, reciprocity and harmony. You know, these values are really aspirational in nature. Um, because they, they teach us, they really function as an educational system for Black folks. They teach us, you know, how we should think about ourselves in relation to other people in our community to promote not only internal harmony, so the self-love piece we've been talking about, but external harmony. How do we actualize that, perpetuate that in our community? Um, and again, these Principles are really designed to help Black people to experience the fullness of their humanity, which a lot of times is denied from us through history um, and also, you know, just the everyday challenges that we experience navigating oppression, especially when we think about emotional expressions of love and intimacy. Um, Tatiana, we have a, a person asking for the terms of the seven principles, M-A-A-T, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Okay, so we have truth, justice, righteousness, order, balance, reciprocity, and harmony. I like your 
your your mention of that particular um, set of principles, you know, I was earlier when I was talking, I was thinking about like the Nguzu Saba. And I think like no matter what, this is where like critical consciousness and bibliotherapy can be of benefit because learning about those principles and seeing the ways in which even like if we're not formally socialized into an African-centered worldview, like mm -hmm. those aspects of our es essence are retained throughout our community. Like mm -hmm. maybe we don't call it like communalism or or whatever the African principle um, might be named for it, but we'll call it like like gang gang or we'll call it like ride or die, like whatever, right? Like these principles, they remain. And so having that consciousness, again, it allows you to be more intentional in exercising those in your in your everyday life. And when you're like returning to that true essence of who we are as a people, again, that allows you to be more self-actualized, which allows you to be like more genuine and authentic in your subsequent relationships with other people, which in turn allows them to be more genuine and authentic as they're receiving your unconditional love. And so it just, it really just benefits our community as a whole. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to add another set of Afrocentric values that I learned about. And these I learned about from Molefi Asante. So in Dr. Asante's view, their worldview is that, you know, Afrocentric values in relationships, and they become especially important in romantic relationships. So that being sacrifice, inspiration, vision, and victory, they constitute our spiritual and intellectual commitment to one another and the cultural affirmation that we have for our communities. And in this view, Black men and women are viewed as equal sources of strength in the relationship, so nobody has to bear that burden alone. And it creates more space for vulnerability and intimacy. So these four values that I just named, each of them include multiple mutual respect and sharing. So if we look at sacrifice, that is how do we prioritize spiritual being spiritual and communal in nature over the physical and material in Black relationships? There was a quote that I read that every man should want his lady to be his Isis, his Harriet, his Yah Asante way. Every woman should want a Turner, a Malcolm, an Elijah Muhammad, a King, or a Garvey. When we think about inspiration, that looks at how do we affirm each other in relationship? How do we seek to stimulate each other in multiple ways? So that's physically, emotionally, psychologically, and intellectually. I really liked how the black psychologist Robert Tucker and his wife, they did a lot of a lot of work in the community around black love and relationships. They talk about the importance of black couples, especially finding healthy ways to express our rage with oppression rather than making like they say passive aggressive comments like I told you I hate the string beans, right? Um, finding ways to talk about how oppression infiltrates our union and leaves us feeling exploited a lot of times. So they just, you know, name some practical skills like finding positive things to say to each other in the midst of an argument, writing letters to one another. And they even suggested tape recording your conversation so that no one's words are misconstrued. Um, the next principle vision that looks like how do we plan for the future concerning our family and community? Another quote that I really liked is 
the man and women, the man and woman who dream together constitute the most advanced unit of Afrocentric society. Um, and that speaks to how do we grow in relationship with each other? You know, like I got your back and I want you to really feel that. And lastly, victory. So that focuses on our optimism and our celebration related to the Black family and communities. Um, in this view, Afrocentric love and relationships are characterized by joy, of power, of peace, of overcoming. It does not speak of or harp on failure or losses or suffering or oppression. So expressions like I can do this replaces I can't or I ought not to. It's impossible. I'm not equipped to. And I feel like most importantly, Afrocentric love transcends history and all the different forces we've been talking about tonight that threaten to break the ties that bind Black love together. Um, and so those, you know, incorporating that Afrocentric or Black perspective in therapy, especially in our work with Black clients, could be very helpful um, in terms of really highlighting the powerful and the healing nature of Black love. Mm -hmm. And as we listen to you speak, it's clear like this topic is really a passion for you and something you've done a great deal of research on. Uh, so as we're winding up for tonight, I do want to share with our audience that if you are interested in hearing Tatiana talk more about this topic, including her um, research that she's done with Black men who have experienced sexual uh, trauma, you can join her for another podcast this Thursday. I will put that information in the chat now. And um, I'm going first, I guess. So I would like to say thanks to everyone um, who has joined us tonight and who has participated in the chat. Again, we really enjoy having these conversations, um, you know, in terms of hearing audience perspective as well, because it just really helps to, I think, strengthen us as a community of mental health professionals in terms of providing culturally responsive services to um, the clients that we see, things that are authentic to their lived experiences. And I think again, plugging both of you, this beautiful book, Black Lives Are Beautiful, that does a lot to talk about all the things we talked about tonight. So Black love, not only for ourselves, but in all these different facets, and in particular, our community. It is a great workbook to use in therapy if you are looking for concrete skills to offer your clients and just like the homework to do with them in between and just to facilitate more of that critical consciousness and building insight and awareness. If you have not got a book, you need to get you one. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, um, Thank for you. joining us tonight.